0: Well, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Jubilee Church. Uh, very grateful that you're here. Um, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Colossians called "Above All," where this is actually part number 18. Uh, we're getting to the home stretch, and uh, we're in this little section uh, where, where Paul has just shifted. A few weeks back, we talked about uh, it, as chapter three began that Paul shifted in his talking. In the beginning, chapters one and two we talked about. Uh, what it means to be uh, in a relationship with Christ. What what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, How do you become a Christian? It's about what Jesus did on the cross, and he took our record of sin, and he nailed it to the cross. And then in chapter three, he says, for those who have been raised in Christ, that is, those who are Christians, I've got something to say about what our lives look like, and what are some of the benefits of that. And we're right in the middle of that, and Paul's gonna say, hey, you know, if you are in Christ, and, you know, put away your old self, and put on your new self, and uh, this is what it looks like when you... um, put your life on his rulership. We're going to talk about some general things. And then uh, the next uh, few weeks, we're going to get into, you know, it, what does a marriage look like that's submitted uh, to the rulership of Jesus? What does parenting look like that's submitted to the rulership of Jesus? What do employer and employee relationships look like that are submitted to Jesus? And so it's, Paul's going to, uh, going to flesh it out practically. But today... He's going, to talk, uh, he's going to say just very, some, some more big picture stuff and, uh, as it relates to what it looks like when you become a Christian. And one of the things he says to Christians, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Um, that is one of the benefits uh, of being a Christian is that peace is, is yours in Christ Jesus, that um, it's the access that you have in being under His rulership, and what I mean by peace, I don't mean something that's kind of safe and serene, but what I mean is this deep-seated confidence that God is good regardless of your circumstance. So in, in Psalms 23, uh, um, David's crying out, "You know, Lord, you're my shepherd. In the midst of my enemies, you prepare a place for me. You 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 lead me by still waters, and and so you can. It, it's having this kind of confidence regardless of what your circumstances are, and this peace is afforded." to you in this relationship um, in Christ Jesus in fact this word peace it means shalom which is this togetherness word this holistic word that's um, very similar to the uh, to salvation that Uh, When sin entered the world, it tore peace. It wrecked peace with us and God. It wrecked peace between uh, man, between uh, human beings. And it also wrecked peace between us and the world. And now there's all this strife and there is no peace. And everyone's looking for peace. Well, the good news is that in Christ Jesus, there is peace. There's peace with us and God. And there's peace with each other. Now, ultimate peace will will happen one day in heaven that's not here. We still live in a world that's broken, that's diseased, that's war-ridden and and all of that. But those who have tasted of the age to come, that is those who have, that are in a relationship with Christ that 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 are putting themselves under the rulership of Jesus. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, one of those things, according to Romans 14, is righteousness, it's joy, and it's peace. Peace is for us. In fact, when... uh, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus who would bring salvation to the world, who would bring salvation to you. He called called him the Prince of Peace. So this peace that we have, we have complete and utter access to in this relationship that we have with Jesus. And my question for you this morning is are you experiencing that peace? Do you you have peace in, in your parenting? Do you have peace in your job? Do you have peace in your relationships, in your finances? Do you have peace in these areas? That's why uh, Paul says, let this peace rule. You you have to let it rule. You you can be a Christian and you can reject the rulership of God, but when you reject the rulership of God, you reject the peace of God. So Paul says, let it rule in your life. I I had a a friend from the UK. I remember when he first came over to America about 10 years ago. English citizens are a deprived race uh, for many reasons. And one of them is that they do not get free refills at, of soda when you go to a restaurant. I know, it's just harsh. It's harsh. And so this guy came over and um, we were at a restaurant and he like, you know, down, you know, he just gulped up soda and the soda. And the waitress kept coming by. He's like, hey, would you like a refill? Would you like a refill? Would you like a refill? And because he thought, well, I'm going to have to pay for this, he kept saying, no, no, no. And then finally I said, you know, we get free, free refills here. And he's like, and then he just kept getting, I mean, I've never seen one drink so much soda in all their life. It was just kind of like, you know, it, it was amazing what, what you saw there. He had access to it, but he didn't, he didn't let it happen in his life. And, and I think as a Christian, we, we can be that way. We can have this access to stuff, but we don't receive the benefits of it because we have to let it rain. And that's kind of the emphasis here. It's like Jesus has tore down these walls. He, he has defeated your greatest enemies. I don't know what you think your greatest enemies are, but your greatest enemies are Satan, sin, and death. I don't, I don't know what your problem is, but I think dying has got to be on the top of the list. But when we, when we have this, we have this peace that God, hey, if he defeated death, he's going to defeat everything else in my life, and he's got good things for me in store, and I'm going to trust in the goodness of God. It says in Romans uh, 8.28 that God works all things for our good. Um, not so much circumstantially, but he's gonna take any situation that we're in, if it's a good one or a bad one, and he's gonna maneuver it into a good situation. And, and when you are under the rulership of Jesus, you can kind of be like, ah, oh, man, he's gonna take care of things. When you're under your rulership, there's a reason to stress out. Man, if, you, if you're spending your money, man, phew, I hope you, you know, it could be a rough deal. But man, if you're, if you're like, hey, God's running my life, he, you know, he's in charge of my finances, he's in charge of my relationship, there's a peace that comes in, in knowing that. You know, often we're, we have this older van and there's terrible things that happen to it. It, it. It's wheezy, it makes noise, it's just getting old and it's just, it's just like falling apart. And every time I have to spend money, I'm just like, well you know, God, this is, this is your van, and, you know, if you want to spend money on this, that's fine. I wouldn't do that, but if, you, if this is your deal, man, and so peace comes over my heart. I don't get anxious about the car breaking down because I know ultimately God is in charge, and he is in control. Um, Matthew 6, Jesus gives a command to Christians to do not worry. Do not. Did you know that Christians are forbidden from worrying? They're forbidden. It's outlawed. Worry and anxiousness is outlawed in the kingdom of God. Isn't that great news? What a relief. It's it's outlawed. It, It says that worry is something, he says, worry is something that the Gentiles do. Gentiles were those who weren't, who didn't know that they had a father in heaven who loved them and took care of them. Those who don't know that they have a father in heaven who loves them and take care of them, those are the ones that worry, but you know that you have a father in heaven. So it's outlawed. There is no worry in the kingdom of God. When you let the the reign of God and the rule of God in your life, you're letting peace reign. It's what he's saying. Worry is not just outlawed, but it's unwarranted. Because we do know that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who take care of us. Psalm 127, uh, verse two, it says, that it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. If there's anxiousness in your life, uh, there's something that's off. It's like that. It's like a warning sign. You know, you you have that check engine light in a car. You know that light that you ignore. You know what I'm talking about that thing. That that it's kind of pointing to the fact that there may be a problem in your life. When worry and anxiousness comes up, it, it's a warning light to you that something may be off, and you, and you need to correct something. Anxiousness and worry is not uh, is, is not what how we are meant to live as. Christians. Now we should maximize who we are. We should maximize the abilities, the resources, the time uh, for maximum kingdom output to, to see the kingdom advance. We, we should apply ourselves um, with zeal. But when we take it to the level of anxiousness, it's a sign to you that you're in, uh, you're in wrong territory, that you've gotten outside of the reign of God, now, I just said something that just made 99% of us think, uh-oh. Hey, here's the good news, man. We, we, can, we can correct course like that because of the grace of God. That he, he's not bending over. He's not looking over and saying, well, you, you know, you guys, you worry and you're terrible. No, no, that's what he's saying. He's, saying Look, that, he, he's trying to show us that there's deeper waters that you can swim in, that you can live a life full of peace. And it comes through receiving and submitting to his rulership and not your own. So if you're anxious about something, that, that's a sign to you that you've grabbed a hold of the wheel, that you've grabbed a hold of control of your own life. And now you're worried about it because you're wondering how it's going to play. But when you submit to his rulership, Paul's saying, hey, let peace reign. How do we let peace reign? Well, you submit to his, his rulership. And one of the things that Paul mentions, uh, mentions here is that we... Um, that we understand that, we, that our purpose in life has more to do with corporate than individualistic. Because he's gonna add here, I don't know if you saw this, um, in verse 15, he says, and let the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. That word called means to be like destined or this is your purpose. And your purpose is in, one, is in a body. It's, in a, it's part of a community. Uh, that you're not going to discover your purpose uh, on your own. You're only gonna uh, discover your purpose when the context of community. Anytime you go out, that means you've gone outside of God's reign, that you've gone outside of what he has for you. And you're trying to find a purpose that is not a part of what God's plan is for you. When, when God created the world, when he created Adam, uh, it says, let us. Does anyone else find that strange that God, singular God would say, let us? That's because he's talking about, it's the holy community, the Holy, uh, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he said, and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. They make man, and then they step back, and they say, man, something's off about that. (laughs) And it's not just for obvious reasons. It's because he's, he's alone. It's not good that man be alone. That's not who we are. That doesn't represent our image. uh, Individualism does not represent our image. Our image is honoring, preferring, and loving. It's a communal thing. And so you will not discover who God's called you to be on your own saying that you are part of one body. You're part of one body. So if you're, if you're trying to find yourself just on your own, man, you're gonna, you're gonna lack peace because that's out of, out of bounds of who God has called you to be. So here's an application for you. You need to find community. And I don't just mean friends. I mean, you need to find people that, you, that you're doing life with, that you're warring with. Um, we think the starting point for that here at Jubilee Church is community groups. Uh, another thing is membership, uh, committing to this saying, yeah, I want to know what it means, what it looks like to, to live life upon life, brick upon brick, how to do this here in the city. Our next membership class is on um, June the 9th here on a Monday night. Go check it out. Find out what it's about, what membership looks like. Um, so that's one of the ways that we can find peace, is that we find it in the context of community. The second thing uh, he says, and be thankful. Now he doesn't condition that. He doesn't say like, be thankful if something good happens to you. You know why? Because something is something good is happening to you. You see, when you know the way I was raised, I don't know how you raised, but when I when when someone gives you something that you find at least satisfactory, you say thank you. Actually, you know, I was taught even if you didn't like it, say thank you. But anyway, (laughs) that's a whole other story. Um, But you say why? Because it, it 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 tells the person, it telegraphs to the person that yes, I've received what you've given me, and thank you for that. I appreciate that. It has value here uh, in my life. Um, and so when, when Paul says, and he says this all throughout scripture, he says it in Philippians, he says it other places, to always be grateful, to always have praise, to always be thanking God, um, because Paul is saying that we should live in a state of gratitude and thankfulness because we're assuming that something good's coming my way because you are in Christ and your heavenly Father loves you, knows you, and he's always doing everything for your best, whether you see it, whether you have that perspective or not. So one of the ways that you live in the peace of God, which again is the reign of God, meaning that God is the one who runs my life. How do you know God's running my life? Well, one of the ways you know that God is running your life is that you're always thankful, because you're assuming that God is gonna bring good things. That's why he says when you pray, pray with thanksgiving. Well, how do you thank God? So if you're praying, uh, God help me in this situation, thank you for helping me in this situation. Why would you do that? Because you're assuming that whatever God does is going to be a good thing, even if it's something that you don't expect, or initially even want. Some of you are stressed out and anxious and worried because of just a lack of gratitude. When, when in reality, we just need to say, God, thank you. Thank you for thank Him for what? Well, thank thank you, God, that You're working out all things for my good. Well, my situation stinks. Well, it th- th- doesn't matter. I know God. I trust You. I, I know that You have good things for me, and it causes gratitude. And when you so one another, warning light. Are you living in the in the peace of God? Is are you are you grateful? Are you con- Is gratitude coming off? your lips. Paul says in Philippians 4, uh, 6-7, to he says that we should be anxious for nothing. Other translation says that we shouldn't care about anything, or we shouldn't give care to anything. Uh, the other day, I went out um, to a restaurant with Kurt McCutcheon, who's an elder here, and he paid the bill. And, um, you know, he, he said, hey, I'm gonna pay for this, and he paid for this, and, you know, I, I said thanks, and I left, and I didn't care about the bill after that. I wasn't worried about the bill, because he, he took care of it. Um, it would have been actually stupid for me if he's already paid the bill that I go back and like pay the bill again. And, and actually we live this way as Christians. G- God has paid a bill. He's, he says he's gonna give care to something and we're all freaked out about what he's already paid for and what he said he was going to care for. So we're all worried about our identity and our place with God and have I done enough? And when he says, no, no, Jesus paid for that. Why are you worried about a bill that God's already paid? Why are you worried about, so God says, don't worry about, you know, where you live, where you eat, these kinds of things. I, I love you. I'm going to take care of you. Why are, we bringing, why are we bringing care and anxiousness to something that God said he already was going to take care of? He said he was good. So we, we have this opportunity to live when actually when, when you're stressing about a bill, when you're stressing about your life, a great thing to get yourself into is say, God, thank you for working out this situation to my good. Even though he ha- in your mind he hasn't done it yet because he is doing it. And when you live in that state of gratitude, it's understanding that God is, is ruling my life and reigning my life and he is organizing my steps. He is work- he's, he's bringing things about in my life. Gratitude is a big thing. Another way we get to the peace of God is by letting the word of God richly dwell. So he says, so he says let peace dwell. So living this new life that we have in Christ is, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Um, we also let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Which means that word richly means deeply. Like we just don't kinda read it. I mean, we, we don't just kinda listen to it. We don't just kind of apply it. But we seek for God's word to get deeper and deeper and deeper that we, we know we need to sit with it. We, you know, even we, we need to go after it. You know. It, I heard my friend, my friend PJ Smythe um, talking about God's word and letting it ri- uh, go deep in your hearts. He uses this He says, you know, you can rake leaves. You know, e- raking leaves is easy, but all you do is get leaves. Digging's hard, but you can find gold. And when it comes to scripture, we don't want to be raking leaves. We don't want to just find something on the surface. We want to, we want to dig deep. We want the word of God to deeply dwell in us. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is we watch the condition of our hearts like it's not enough just to kind of casually read it and have a few thoughts and kind of come to a but we have to watch the condition of our hearts. The wisest person ever, Solomon said that he said a lot of wise things in Proverbs. And of all the things that he said, he says above all else, which means this is the most important thing, guard your heart. Pay attention to your heart. This is what Solomon said is the apex of wisdom is paying attention. To your heart, are you paying attention to your heart? Uh, Parable of the Sower. Um, Jesus uh, mentions three different kinds of soil, which which represent the condition of your heart. There's a good soil, which you know produces a big thing, but there's three soils that we have to watch out. One is a rocky soil. This means like you know that you hear the word of God, and it's like man, it's inspirational and it's awesome, and then it goes away. Sometimes people come up to me and I, I know what, and I, I, I appreciate their heart. They say, man, man, Brian, what you said today, that word that you gave today, man, that's really going to get me through to next week. And on one hand, I'm like, man, that's so great. On the other hand, I'm like, no. Uh oh. That's a problem. Man, we're not going after just little leaves and pithy statements, and this is how you can kind of make your Monday and Tuesday, but we're, ta- we're going for gold. We're going for, some- we're going for the word of God to richly dwell in our lives that begins to build a foundation for how we live, not just this week, but for the rest of our life. And then we take more gold and more gold and more gold, and, and the more that we dig deep into God's word, it builds this foundation for this life that is full of peace and full of the reign of God. So there's the rocky soil. You got to, man, is your heart just kind of like, you just, it, you, you hear it and then it's gone. You hear it and then it's gone. Maybe, maybe the thorny soil, maybe your heart condition is like the thorns. The thorn, it says that it says that the word of God came in, but then the cares of this life choked it out. And it doesn't just mean that it, it, like it choked out Bible reading time. It, it, it definitely means that. But more than that, it choked out your application of it. I mean, there, there's just some massive themes in the Bible. Uh, I mean, community is one of them. We talk about that a, a bunch. Serving is another one. Uh, there's these things that God wants to build in you in the word of God. And many times it's like, man, I would just love to, I'd love to do this. I'd love to serve. But you know what? I'm just, I'm just busy. I've got, I've got a job. I've got this. I've got that. I just can't fit it into my life. That is thorny soil. That is allowing the cares of this life to choke out you being able to apply the word. It isn't good. Jesus says in John 13, um, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It doesn't do you any good to read the Bible and do nothing of it. It doesn't do you any good to hear a message and do nothing. That's not where blessing comes in. Blessing doesn't come in through knowledge and information. It comes through transformation that starts with knowledge. There's there's things that we have to know and then but but that's just a doorway to lead us into a different kind of life. And you'll struggle with the peace of God if you have this thorny heart that allows the cares of this world, whatever those cares may be to you. If you're allowing it to choke out you being able to apply God's word. and there's a gazillion examples we can go there but you, you have to settle that in your own life. Are you allowing cares of life to choke it out? I mean, you gotta pay attention to your heart. You gotta pay attention to that soil. If, you're, if there's things out in your world that keep you from applying what God has to say, I mean, you, gotta, you gotta root those things out. And then there's the hard ground. That could be those who are cynical and atheistic, but it also means that you could just be hurt when you get hurt and you don't deal with that, if you don't forgive, what happens is it, it, you get bitter and your heart gets hard and the word of God just bounces off you. You can't even, even loving things just, they don't, you, got, you could be hurt. You have to deal with that hurt. Say, God, this is a condition of my heart. I've been burned. I've, I've been living with this and living with this and living with this so maybe that's the condition of your heart. So it happens through paying attention of your heart. So we get the word of Christ to dwell deeply in us through that. But it also comes through uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching, admonishing one another, wisdom. So there's a couple things that go together. Teaching and admonishing. If you have teaching and no admonishing, you're going to have like pride and lazy and w- the situation that we're, where you're, you're not really living in the blessing of God, the peace of God, because you're hearing things, but you're not, you're not doing them. And if you don't have warning to go with the teaching, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna stay on course. I mean, imagine teaching a child, hey, you know, don't do this and do this, but never warning them when they eventually stray. Some of you know, are you, are you telling me that I obey like a child? No, the Bible's telling you that you obey worse than a child. You, you obey like a sheep right? And that's not a good thing. You, you, you're prone to wander. You're prone to walk off a cliff. You can't even make your way back if you see your way back. I mean, sheep are, in terms of intelligence, are the lowest of the low. And you tell me, how are you doing with what the scriptures have to say? You, we don't just need teaching. We need admonishing. Psalm 23, it says, uh, it says of God, it says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What's a rod and a staff for? They beat the sheep with a rod and they took the hook of the staff and pulled the, the sheep back in. Those things, they comfort me. Why do they bring comfort? Because you know that God's not gonna let you veer off course. What does shepherding in your life look like? What does one anothering in your life look like? It, it, it means to be around a group of people who love you so much that they're not gonna let you get off course. They're gonna hook you back in. They're gonna push you back this way. If you have teaching and no admonishing, it, it's, it's what well, you have. American Christianity is what you have. But if you have admonishing and no teaching, that's no good either. That produces legalistic, cultish, insecure Christians who just do a bunch of things, but they don't even know why. We need both teaching and admonishing and they go together. And who do, who's doing the teaching and the admonishing? What does it say there? It says one another. I, I'm a part of that one another. I stand up here and I teach and I, and I hopefully I'm bringing warning and teaching together. But it's something that we do for each other. We're, we're meant to teach each other. We're meant to admonish each other. We're meant to warn each other. And then we do that with all wisdom, and we're careful about it. We don't do surgery without anesthetic. We, we you know, we, we love each other, and we're, we're wise about it. What's the best way to communicate this to someone? How can I do it? We're careful about it. We don't just want to get our point across. We want, to, like, we want them to receive it because we love them. We care for them. But it's something we do one another. I read a stat, um, I think Gallup poll, recent Gallup poll said that... Um, that when someone's in a crisis, someone is 4%, uh, 4% of them said they would go to a counselor. They're in a crisis. 18% said a minister or a priest. 82% said a friend. Uh, 14% on the minister. You guys, you math people need to chill out. So the uh, 14%, but I appreciate that though, I appreciate it, I do, I'm a numbers guy too. So 82% said they would go to a friend in a crisis. Here's the thing, you guys are being taught primarily by your friends anyway. Let's make it based upon God's word. So you're being taught and admonished and warned based on a criteria. What is the criteria to which your friends are teaching you and warning you? What's the basis for which you are teaching and warning others? I vote for God's word. I vote that be the guide. I vote that's what we teach each other. I vote that's the basis and the grid for which we admonish each other. And let's do it with all wisdom. Let's do it with love and care and concern. Um, so one of the things that we do is uh, we admonish and teach. And then the, pri- the other thing he says, he says, uh, singing. One of the ways that we let the word of Christ dwell is through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual thons- songs with thanksgiving in your heart. Oh, uh, wow. And um, let's move on. And so we... Uh, so one of the things is, is singing, so corporate worship. One of the ways that you get the word of Christ to deep, deep, deeply dwell in you is through corporate worship, like what we did earlier today. Starts at 11, guys. And um, we, nervous laughter. And we, um, <laughs> we're friends, it's okay. And uh, what, so Psalms, those are, those, that's worship, that's what we sing. We sing scripture directly. That's what psalms are. Hymns are just, they're words uh, about God's word, and about, but indirectly. They're not exact words of scripture, but they're based upon that. Spiritual songs are spontaneous songs inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is a part of that. And all those things help us to allow the word of God to deeply, deeply dwell within us. I'll get through it, guys. And... Um, and so we, we had this I don't know, in the earlier service, nine o'clock, is uh, Anna was up here in, in this location, and she sang a song spontaneously. And that was a way that the Word of God can get into our hearts deeply. Now Maybe, maybe you have this mindset that the, the singing part is kind of like a warm-up. You know that's kind of the warm-up period. It's kind of this 30-minute optional period. But I want us to know that this is one of the primary ways that the word of God will deeply dwell in your heart. Don't have a casual view of this. Which gets back to the 11 o'clock part. You, you, or, or 10.30 or whatever your service starts in your, those locations. You've got, to, you've got to be here. You've got to prize this. This isn't like, yeah, well it's the singing part. No, no, no. no. This is how the, one of the big ways that the word of God will dwell in you. If you want the word of God to dwell in you, you need to be a part of this. You need a part of singing songs that are, that are psalms and they're, and they're hymns, and you need, the, you need the spiritual songs as well. This is a part of this. Re- Let's have higher thoughts about this. Let's have big thoughts about this. This is why we want to sing songs that are theological and have their songs about who Jesus is. Because we want these things to dwell. I mean, our kids, they sing these songs. I sing these songs. You sing these songs. You're, you're, You can't get that, we want to have a clever tune because we want it to stick with you. So you singing that song during the week, I doubt you are regurgitating my messages during the week. (laughs) Some of you can humor me and say, no, that's not true, I do. No, I know you don't. And songs have a powerful way. Songs have a way, it's, you know, scientists, the, the brain is just so much more active in music. You, you can say things to your wife, or you can say things, but th- things that are sung bring so much more emotion to it. And they could take you back to a time and place. I mean, how many of you hear a song on the radio, and you, you could think about that one day in high school, or you could, you could think about that summer. You could think about all these, all these things. They bring you back to this place. Songs have a way of doing it. God designed that. I was fishing last week with, with Mike Lawson, and I saw him uh, mouthing the words to a song, and uh, it was Saved by Zero um, by, the, uh, what's it? by The Fix. If you do it's a weird band. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, and Mike's weird, and that's why he was, <laughs> it was blaring from this other boat that was, and I could look over, he's mouthing the words. And this, this song, uh, Saved by Zero by The Fix, it was released in 1982, which is the same year Mike, graduated from high school. And as he's mounted, I'm looking over there and I could tell like he was back there, man. He was back his senior year of high school. I mean, his hair was feathered down the middle. He had his Trans Am T-top. I mean, he was there, man. You could tell this song was taking him to a place. And that's the power that singing and songs have. And that's something that God designed. God didn't design it for it to work out the way it's working out in Mike's life, but I'm saying like it's... He he designed song to give us another way for the word of God to dwell deeply in our hearts. Prize this time. Prize it. It's part of the design of God that it would it would be in you. You want God's word more in you, man. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another, making melodies. It's gratitude and thanksgiving for what he's done. So he talks about just kind of our corporate worship experience. You know, this diet of Sunday and you know, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, getting together in group and teaching and admonishing each other, singing these songs. This is, this, is what we wanna, this is where Christ can become central and be built into us, but he's not just content for one day of the week or two days of the week. He says in verse 17, and whatever you do, Let's, let's go with the other six days. Let's go with the other five days. Let's go for seven days here. Whatever you do, in word or deed, that, those Greek words for word and deed, that they go together a lot to basically say all of your life. This encompasses all of your life. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God um, the Father through him. So whatever you do, Whatever you do, whatever you're doing in your life, do as unto the Lord, do as unto the Lord. Now, I think we all wanna know God's will. Even if you're not a Christian, you still wanna know what God knows. Uh, I know that because if you're ever in a bad situation and and someone's health is on the line and you don't know what to do, you you pray. When, When you're really at the end of your rope and you're not sure what to do, you pray. You wanna know what God knows. And so we're, we're preoccupied with the will of God. And, but most of our preoccupation is with particulars. Where should I live? What job should I have? When should I get married? We, we, we want to know the particulars. There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to know those things. Man, if you could know exactly what you should do in every situation, man, you want to know that. We all want to know that. But what if the will of God wasn't something that specific, what if the will of God was whatever? Romans 8.28 says that God uses all things, all situations, for our good. And that good is defined in verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, that we we are predestined to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. That word predestined is made up of two words, before and ended. That before he, ended, he, he determined our end, he before ended us, we predestined us, he before ended, that he, de- he determined our end, which is to be uh, shaped and molded into Jesus Christ. He determined that long ago. And he said he would use that situation or this situation or this situation to get us right here. He'll use good situations, he'll use bad situations to conform us to the image of his son. That's where he wants us to get us. So here's this question. I don't think God cares where you live. I don't think God cares what job you have. I mean, th- sometimes there is a specific will. It was, it was true of that with Jonah. You know, Jonah said, hey, God, what's your plan for my life? He says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, well, is there a plan B? He's like, yeah, plan B is go to Nineveh. You, you know, you can go there in a boat or we can take a fish, whatever. You're, you're going... To Nineveh. And sometimes God has that and we need to be hearing God. I'm not denying, I'm not denying the overall um, that God does have specific things for us to walk into. He does. He absolutely does. But he has a bigger goal for us and that is our transformation. You see, we are all focused in on our situation but he's focused in on our transformation. We're we're focused in on, on where and when and he's focused in on why and how. So, where should I work? He says, I, I don't care where you work. I, I wanna know why you work. I don't care where you live. I wanna know why you live there. I, I, don't, care, you know, I don't care what school you go to. I wanna know how you're gonna carry yourself once you get there. He, he's not so much interested in our situation as much as he's interested in our transformation because his ultimate goal is to make us like Jesus. You see, what is a, what is a Christian? Christian is a Christ follower. A Christian is one who's going for that goal, he's saying, who sees Jesus as ultimate. I want his life, I wanna be with him, I, I wanna be just like him, whatever he's doing, I wanna do. And, and God's like, hey, that's my plan too, let's do that. But oftentimes, because we get outside of the reign of God, we start focusing on our situation and not our transformation. So here, so instead of asking things like, hey God, where, where should I do this? And we, now, those are all fine good things, but the question is, is God, search my heart, why am I doing this? I, it, me and my wife a long time ago, in both in the decisions we've made in, um, whether it's a house or whatever, we're, we've, we've made the decision to so say, you know what, we're okay with making a wrong decision if we do it for the right reasons. If we buy a house and it's a stupid financial purchase, but we feel God's in it, we'll, we'll, we'll go for it if God's in it. I, I, would rather, I would rather make a seemingly wrong decision for the right reason than make a seemingly good decision for the wrong reason. Because God, I'm learning that God isn't all after me getting in the best That's not his goal for your life. Your goal his goal for your life isn't that you nail it, isn't that you tick every box, that you have the right job in the right city, in the right place, in the right house, with the right fence, and the right yard, and the right hardwood floors. He's not interested in that. He's interested in you becoming like Jesus. So whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. Can you say that in your life? If you're struggling with the peace of God, you want the peace of God, you want the word to richly dwell in your life, it will only dwell in your life if you get more preoccupied about your transformation over your situation. God will use any situation. If you made a great decision, he'll use that. If you make a bad one, he'll use that too because he's going to get you where he wants you to get. And the peace of God comes over you when you live that way. It's how you let the peace of God reign and rule in your life. In Proverbs 3, uh, Solomon says that in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, in your financial ways, in your relational ways, in your career ways, in your, in your parenting ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge who he is, that he's the one who created it all, and he's the one I'm after the police, and he's the one I want to know is happy with this or happy with that. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and guess what happens? He makes your path straight. He'll tell you where to go. He does have a specific plan for your life, but it doesn't mean anything if you miss the big one. So Jesus says, the Bible repeats itself in a bunch of different ways. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, um, seek first the kingdom of God. And all those other things, the particulars, the where, the when, all those things, where will I eat? When will I eat? Where will I live? All those things, those particulars, If you get transformation, kingdom-seeking life down, he will will provide that for you. But if you're seeking these things, more than than you're seeking transformation, you're gonna gonna miss both and you're gonna be anxious because you gotta figure it out. God says, come to me. My yoke is easy. I can bring you into a life where you're just, you're at peace in any situation. Paul was able to say that. You couldn't do anything to him. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've had lots of money. I've I've been poor. I've had food. I've been starving. But I've learned the secret of contentment. What is that? It's, It's going after Jesus. He went after the price. He went after him. He went after transformation. Don't make life about getting yourself in the right situation. You'll miss the point of life and you'll have no peace. Make transformation the goal. He just provides this for us. Um, he loves us, he, he's, gonna, he's gonna care for us. And this is what it looks like to let his kingdom rule us, is you allow the particulars about your life, you put that in his hands. In whatever you do, you're doing it unto the Lord, you're doing it to honor him, you're doing it to glorify him, you're doing it to allow him to take your life and mold you and shape you more and more into the image of a son. Why don't you get out your communication card?